mornings. I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Fox Sports NFL analyst Mark Schlereth breaks down the showdown between the Eagles and the Chiefs in Super Bowl 57. Also this morning in our Throwback Thursday segment, the retail disruptors who took down long-established brick-and-mortar giants, how they did it, and why the shakeup isn't over yet. And happening around town, members of the cast will join us to preview the upcoming Fort Findlay Playhouse production of the classic Murder on the Orient Express. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, February 9th, 2023. So the uh, Super Bowl is just a couple of days away now. Everybody excited about the uh, big game, Eagles and Chiefs, Super Bowl 57. This week in Philadelphia, there are crews going up and down Broad Street, greasing the telephone poles. Uh, This is so that uh, Philadelphia Eagles fans cannot endanger themselves by climbing the poles to celebrate or lament uh, the outcome of the Super Bowl on Sunday. They're greasing the telephone poles. A city official uh, said that this Sunday is an all-hands-on-deck day for the city's police. <laughs> I, what does that say that the city leaders and city law enforcement expect there to be something going on that they would have to respond to on Sunday. You know what I mean? They're kind of assuming the worst, aren't they? Now, of course, uh, Philadelphia fans are known for over-celebrating uh, major sporting events. And uh, so so maybe they're, they're being wise, but still, it just seems kind of weird to me that you're assuming that it's going to be something that law enforcement is going to have to get involved with. You know what I mean? It's already assuming the worst. Um, maybe they, get, they have good reason uh, to, according to the computer simulation matchup of Super Bowl 57, it's going to be an Eagles win in a blowout. Um, one of the most popular sports video games of all time has once again this year played a simulated Super Bowl ahead of the big game to predict the winner. And uh, EA's Madden NFL 23 is predicting that not only will Philadelphia win, but they will run away with the Lombardi Trophy. The final score of 31-17. So not even close. Eagles over the Chiefs, according to Madden NFL 23. Um... Some of the stats from the game, Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts will be the Super Bowl MVP, passing for 282 yards, rushing for another 88 yards, and scoring three touchdowns. So that would be just a performance for the ages if that were to happen. Since its inception in 2004, the Madden Super Bowl simulation has posted a record of 11-8 and in its straight-up Super Bowl predictions. However, that being said, they are just 1-4 in the last five Super Bowls. Last year, Madden 
uh, EA's Madden Sports uh, video game predicted the Bengals would beat the Rams. Um, they got the margin of victory right. I think last year's margin of victory, they said it would be a field goal, but it went the other way. So take that for what you will, but uh, Madden NFL 23 says it would be the Eagles in a blowout of the Chiefs on Sunday. We'll see. Speaking of the uh, Super Bowl, did you hear this? Um, Jason Kelsey, one of the big storylines are the Kelsey brothers. Uh, Let's see, it's uh, Travis Kelsey who plays for the Chiefs. Jason Kelsey, his older brother, is a center for the Eagles. And his wife is with child. I don't know if you uh, heard about this. Uh, Jason Kelsey's wife will be attending the Super Bowl. She is very pregnant. Uh, she could go at any time. She will, however, be attending the Super Bowl with some reinforcements just in case. <laughs> in the event that she goes into labor during the game, um, she'll be bringing her obstetrician with her <laughs> to Glendale, Arizona. <laughs> Kylie Kelsey is 38 weeks along. And, uh, of course, the excitement of the big game, you never know. I'm thinking, how would you like to be your OB? You get a free trip to the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, I mean, if nothing happens, then you got a free trip to the Super Bowl. Uh, Jason Kelsey has said that he hopes the baby will not come early, but if it does, he doesn't want to know. <laughs> if she goes into labor during the game, don't tell me. <laughs> don't, don't tell me. Um, and... Uh, he said he just doesn't. He said uh, if the baby happens early or if the baby happens during the game, quote, just don't even put that in my head. <laughs> so uh, that would be an interesting storyline. But you know that uh, that the networks would be all over that. If that if that happens, uh, that is going to be they're going to cover that on the telecast. You know, that's going to be a huge deal some of the more uh, interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your uh thursday morning started check this out another way that technology is changing our lives dramatically uh this is this is coming out of uh, coming from research out of north carolina state university they're trying to make traffic easier when we get to the point where we have self-driving cars. And these researchers at NC State are proposing adding a fourth color to traffic lights. They say, when we have self-driving cars, red, yellow, and green are no longer going to be sufficient. Uh, They have proposed adding a white light to traffic lights, which would signal that a car should simply follow the car in front of them. And they say it's not just autonomous vehicles that could use this signal. Human drivers could benefit as well. A white light meaning follow the car in front of you. Isn't that what we normally do? (laughs) Follow the car in front of us in our lane? Isn't that what we do? But uh, apparently we need a light to tell us to do this now. Uh, And scientists say this could allow for more efficient traffic flow through intersections. Uh, granting some of the traffic flow control to the AVs is a relatively new idea called the mobile control paradigm. 
A series of calculations demonstrated that this approach could improve travel time and reduce fuel consumption. So, again, it's not just with respect to autonomous vehicles. I want to add a new color to the traffic light. We seems like seems like green, yellow, and red have been sufficient for a hundred plus years, a hundred and thirty years, or whatever it is that we've been driving. You would think that that would be. That would be sufficient. But no, apparently now we've got to add a... seems like we're making our lives needlessly complex. You know what I mean? But anyway, something you may see at some point in the future, and you can say, you heard it here first. I remember back in 2023, I heard this guy talking about this on the radio. Um... By the way, back to the uh, Super Bowl. This is kind of uh, interesting. What are you going to be serving up in the, at the Super Bowl? Salty snacks. Going to be right there at the uh, top of the list. Americans, uh, they say, are reaching for more salty snacks these days. And economic anxiety may be to blame. A new report shows that the market share for brands like Fritos and Doritos and pretzels... Um, those uh, those snacks, sales of those snacks continue to grow despite inflation. Analysts suggest it's partially driven by the idea that they are de-stressing tools. 47% of millennials increased their consumption of chips, popcorn, and pretzels over the past year. As consumers continue to navigate stressful and evolving times, salty snacks can be there to help them slow down and even relieve stress. So... Reliever. One thing we are not eating more of, one thing you will probably not be serving up at your Super Bowl party, veggies, fruits and veggies. New survey, 2,000 adults found that the average person throws out 10% of the fruit and vegetables that they buy each week. And the most tossed items include artichoke, avocado, Bagged salad leaves, whole lettuce, cucumber, and broccoli. Uh, those are the things that find themselves at the bottom of the bin on the crisper in your fridge. Strawberries, the most likely to be consumed before they go bad. That's our favorite. So what do we do? We want to throw away less food. It's, uh, you know, this is a huge problem in this country, food waste. And uh, so if you have veggies that are starting to look a little long in the tooth. You know what I mean? They're just, uh, not ready to be thrown out yet, but not necessarily a... Uh, I mean, it's kind of ugly, right? But you can still use it. 43% say making soup is a great way to use ugly produce. And 23% of those in the survey say another way to use those quote-unquote ugly vegetables before they completely go bad is to blend the unsightly greens into smoothies. So, that sounds delicious. Again, probably not serving that at the Super Bowl, but you can, at least you won't be throwing it away. There you go, some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, rainy and really windy today, a high of 62, cloudy and windy tonight, a low of 35. Finley and Hancock County are included in a high wind warning for today.
Forecasters say winds of 20 to 30 miles per hour will gust up to 60 miles per hour at times today. The strong winds could blow down some trees and power lines, causing some power outages. Travel could become difficult, especially for high-profile vehicles. It'll be a warm day with a near-record high temperature expected. Get more on this high wind warning on the website. The train derailment and evacuation in eastern Ohio this week shines a spotlight on a concern that some industry watchers have about freight trains. Chemical disaster expert Fred Millar says train derailments happen more often than you think, and a lack of regulation means it could happen in large cities. Now that would not necessarily protect, you know, small areas like East Palestine, but but I'm just saying that the railroads don't even have to avoid Chicago or Pittsburgh or any other major uh, population center. Chase Bachman reporting in Toledo. And it was announced on Wednesday night that the hundreds of residents who evacuated their homes after that train derailed could safely return home. As the busy Valentine's Day approaches, the Ohio Restaurant Association says staffing levels are starting to improve, but are still down significantly. New numbers from the most recent employment survey show that staffing levels at restaurants across the state are still down about 10 to 20 percent compared to where they were before the pandemic. We just can't get enough people to, to come back into the workforce. It's not just our industry, but ours because we have so many people. We need 585,000 total people just to service all the restaurants in Ohio. I'm Tracy Townsend. The United Way of Hancock County's 2022 campaign raised nearly $2 million. That'll be allocated towards grants that provide critical services to one in four residents of the community. Programs falling under United Way's Vulnerable Child Initiative will receive a total of $335,000 in support for advocacy, prevention, and crisis response. The United Way of Hancock County says all money raised stays local to support vital services unless otherwise designated by the donor. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So the biggest game of the year is almost here now. Three-time NFL champ Mark Schlereth is back with us once again to share some tips on how to win the party hosting game on the most anticipated day for football fans across the country. So, Mark, whether folks tuning in for the game itself or the halftime show or even just the commercials, it all starts with the ultimate viewing experience, right? It certainly does. And you got to start with a television set. LG OLED TV's award-winning 65-inch OLED C2 series, best picture quality, realistic colors, crisp, sharp images, zero blurring on fast motion means the best way to watch sporting events, gaming events. Uh, movies, 42-inch to 97-inch, go big or go home. I say stay home. Go big and stay home uh, with the television set. LG.com for more information. Then big food, big snacks, varieties of spice of life. Variety starts with farm-rich, tons of snacks and appetizers found in the freezer case of your local grocer. Uh, something for everybody. And we've got the snack cootery board. I tell you what, mozzarella sticks. You got meatballs, breaded fried pickles. Uh, cauliflower bites. I mean, they just got a ton of great, great food. Farmrich.com for more information. And then biggest uh, nightmare, this actually happened to me. Lost power as a kid uh, watching the big game. And I ran ran almost two miles to my neighbor's house (laughs) to watch it because they had power. So you don't want that to happen to you. Jenniverse Home Power, the two pro solar generator, guys, safe to use indoors, no fumes, no noise, no maintenance rechargeable solar panels, powerful enough to uh, power 99% of your home appliances, refrigerator, fans, heaters, 
most importantly, that television set, Geniverse.com uh, for more information. All right, very good. We'll be all set for the uh, big game. So let's talk about it here. The uh, Eagles back for the first time in five years. The Chiefs for the third time in four years. How much does experience matter in this game? Um, I don't, you know, I don't think it really matters all that much. It's always nice to have some experience, but, um, you know, ultimately it's just the way you prepare and, 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 you know, the way you play. I mean, once, honestly, once the ball is snapped, it's a football game. You know, Mm -hmm. once you, you get that first contact, it's a football game, like any other football game. You know, I think the key is managing the time, um, you know, before the game, managing the longer halftime, um, not wearing yourself out uh, before the game. Um, you know, the team that just settles in and plays football like it's any other game, I think, is the team that usually has the most success. So easier said than done. But, you know, I think history would tell you that the uh, team that has the most experience doesn't necessarily have an advantage. Now, Kansas City played two pretty close games against Jacksonville and Cincinnati while Philadelphia blew out the Giants and the 49ers to get to the title game. Does either team's performance in the playoffs up to this point tell you anything about how this game is going to go likely? No, every, you know, like every team, every, every game is different, obviously, and you know, I'm, I'm so impressed with what both teams have done. Like Philadelphia has just hammered people, right? Of course, you know, they get the NFC championship and San Francisco loses all their quarterbacks. Right. So really hard to win a game that way. Yeah. But, you know, the thing that's impressive is they dominate line of scrimmage. I mean, San Francisco's got the best front seven in all football. And there were times where they ran inside tight handoff stuff, you know, the, uh, the, what they call the duo play, which is just double teams up front and, they're getting five or six yards. So you're just driving people off the line of scrimmage before the back even even has to think about contact. So you can do that. You're going to dominate a lot of football games. And so they've been very impressive that way. And then for Patrick Mahomes to play with the high ankle sprain and, and then to lose, what, three wide receivers yeah. in that game and still find a way to win that football game, like incredible performance by him, incredible performance by – like there were guys that there was a guy named Kemp who caught a ball. I'd never heard of him before. So <laughs> like in the NFC, uh, the AFC championship. Yeah. So, you know, you look at those things and you're like, wow, this is pretty impressive. Um, both teams, you know, both teams, very impressive what they were able to accomplish over the course of the season. And, you know, obviously their playoff runs respectively. So based on each team's strengths and weaknesses, where are, what are the keys to the game? What will you be watching for? What will tell us, how this is going to go. You know, I, I look at several things like when you're talking about, you're talking about Kansas city and unbelievable what Steve Spagnuolo, their defense coordinator has been able to accomplish. Um, but they're running six rookies out there on a consistent basis in their nickel formations. Like, like it's amazing what they've been able to do. And those guys are producing and certainly they look like they have built, you know, a really strong defensive foundation. Um, but I always look at, can you dominate the line of scrimmage? Can you take away the strengths of the Kansas City defense? That means their, their secondary play and obviously Chris Jones. And how do you do that? Well, you run the ball, you control the line of scrimmage, uh, you make them defend the run, and you set up your RPO game and your, and your play action game. The other thing that they've done a great job with, Nick Seriani has done a great job with, um, you know, their RPO game and, 
you know, the run pass option game. And Nick told me a long time ago, he said, Hey, listen, when you've got a guy that you don't match up well with, and they match up well with everybody, just understand that they're that good. But as a, as a kind of adjunct play, um, instead of blocking a guy, read a guy, meaning don't block him. Yeah. So Chris Jones all of a sudden say, Hey, don't block him. We're going to read you. If you pinch down hard to stop the run, and we're going to keep the quarterback around the edge. Um, if you play the quarterback, we're going to hand it off underneath you and pop one underneath, or, you know, we're going to block you up and we're going to option somebody else. And then we're going to hit that hole in the, uh, in the play action game. So they're a really tough team to contend with because they can play both that college kind of collegiate style of football. And at the same time, they can play, you know, they can play smash mouth downhill old school football as well. So they're a really, they're a really tough team to kind of contend with. It's going to be an awful lot of fun. Uh, and again, two dynamic quarterbacks, two incredible teams uh, coming up on uh, Sunday and, it's going to be a good one. Again, three-time NFL champ Mark Schlereth with us uh, this morning. Mark, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. We appreciate it. You got it. Take care. So in our Throwback Thursday segment this morning, the last time you went grocery shopping, where did you go? The reason why this is relevant again is because we had the story, I think it was about a month ago, more than half of Americans now say that they get at least some of their groceries from places like dollar stores. And of course, late last year, Ohio-based Kroger announced a multi-billion dollar merger with Albertsons to better compete with those deep discounters and mega box stores like Walmart and online retailers like Amazon. Traditionally, this is one industry that was thought to be undisruptible, if you will. Certainly, it's recession-proof, right? People always got to eat. You know, and, and up until just recently, the biggest change in the grocery industry was when people started taking shopping carts and meandering through the aisles themselves instead of simply walking in with a list and having the grocer pull items from the stockroom in the back. It was the birth of the modern supermarket, and that has now been more than 100 years ago. Not much has changed since. But a funny thing happened on the way to the 21st century. Traditional grocers have been challenged in much the same way that every other brick-and-mortar store has, and they are feeling the pressure and the economic impact of a changing customer base as well. Back in February of 2019, we spoke with Jan Benedict Steenkamp, co-author of the book Retail Disruptors, The Spectacular Rise and Impact of Discount Retailers. It is today's Throwback Thursday. First of all, define discount retailers as it relates to the grocery industry. Well, these are small stores with a limited assortment. Think about uh, 10% or less of a uh, regular Kroger. And they have a very heavy emphasis on private label. 80 to 90% of its assortment are private label. The stores tend to be, uh, you know, a bit more Spartan on the inside. Mm-hmm. And they provide excellent value for money. And in Ohio, the, by far the biggest hard discounter is uh, Aldi. Aldi's uh, is the uh, perfect example. And as you mentioned, now most of the time they carry a limited stock of items, but also uh, you would point to Costco as a type of example, which uh, of course is a, a much larger, carries a much larger inventory. 
Costco would not generally be uh, seen as a hard disk counter. It is a it is a warehouse club. When you actually look at the assortment of of Costco, for that matter, it's not very large. The stores are large just because the packages are huge. Mm-hmm. But Costco doesn't have many more than about four thousand uh, items either. And uh, but the Fair typical point. Aldi store has only two and a half thousand. Fair point. So. How has this movement toward these big discount retailers um, and and the growth of these discount retailers uh, upended an industry that, as we said, historically is thought to be recession-proof? One important factor is that in America, since uh, the year 2000 or so, uh, real household income hasn't grown a lot. People, you know, have to be a bit... uh, ever more cautious how they spend their money. Um, healthcare costs rise rapidly, so they have to economize. But also, uh, people discover, once they go to an Aldi or a Trader Joe's, it's not as strong in Ohio, the quality of the products there and actually the ease of shopping, they really like what they see. So when you think about the satisfaction of the American grocery shopper with Aldi, uh, that is uh, significantly higher. Mm-hmm. than some of your chains like Giant Eagle, Kroger, or Meyer. Now, here's what is interesting uh, to me, uh, is the timing in all of this. Uh, now, my understanding, you use all these uh, as an example, this type of grocery store, uh, my understanding, is very common, uh, for example, in Germany, where Aldi traces its roots. And basically, it was taking that concept of a store and bringing it to America, when you talk about all of these other factors that play into Aldi's success, is that uh, just the luck of good timing, or was there something more that those retailers knew that they could tap into? Doubles more. And um, first of all, Aldi is a huge retailer. Aldi is the third largest grocery retailer in the world. So this is not a small player. It's yeah. privately held, which means that it can play the long game. But it started in, in, in Germany, where it saw that actually many uh, products in regular supermarkets, mainstream supermarkets, were, were just very expensive for the quality that they got. And they came up with this business model of selling private label. They order it from factories, high quality criteria, but large volumes, so they could get low prices. And they were successful in Germany. Then continental Europe, but what got American retailers really concerned is in the last five years, Aldi has also conquered uh, Great Britain, which is generally seen as the most sophisticated retail market, grocery retail market in the world, and if you can conquer Britain, that got American supermarkets worried. Private label uh, products are, are really the the key to yes. this making this model work, because traditional retailers cannot discount to compete to that level. You're not going to be able to to discount brand name merchandise anywhere close to what those private label products are, are being retailed for and turn a profit. Yes. Older American generations tend to be quite attached to their brands, but the younger generations actually much much less. You also make the point that these discount retailers are not the only retail disruptors out there. For example, Amazon 
purchasing their their acquisition of Whole Foods uh, created a whole additional shakeup in the grocery industry. Yeah. And while Amazon is considered a discount retailer, an online discount retailer, Whole Foods certainly you can't describe that as a as a discount retailer. No, Whole Foods is whole paycheck. It's, 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 <laughs> right. It is really expensive, and uh, you do, you don't want to go there if you if if you want to save money. So Amazon with Whole Foods, the prices of Whole Foods have declined a little, but let's not be kidding. They are vastly more expensive still than anybody else. What Amazon hopes to do is with Whole Foods to attack the market from above, um, uh, Whole Foods <laughs> itself, and you know through online in-store pickup or home delivery from Whole Foods uh, points. So they are using Whole Foods more to to attack the Krogers and the Myers of this world from uh, from above and the other disruptors, they come from below. So uh, the Walmarts of the world are getting squeezed from both sides and it's really interesting yeah. because uh, again you look back to 20-30 years ago, the, previous, uh, the last generation and it was Walmart that were squeezing the local independent stores, and when they expanded uh, their their grocery operations, uh, challenging independent grocery stores, and now they themselves uh, find themselves being squeezed by this next generation. Uh, so how do conventional retailers, whether we're talking about the Walmarts, the Krogers, the Myers, or even the independents, how do they compete? There are essentially two ways where how they can compete. They can either um, up the service game uh, significantly, um, online, uh, in-store pickup, but also within-store better experience when it comes to a better assortment, more freshly prepared meals, faster checkout. And actually, some of these retailers are really found wanting on all of those aspects. Mm-hmm. So, for example, let's take a concrete example. Meyer, uh, one of the players in Ohio, rates, according to American consumers, very low. People are very dissatisfied with the, uh, the, uh, the checkout speed. Well, that's actually something that you can do about. Kroger right. is not bad on anything, and it is not good on anything. It is hmm. the middle of the road. That's not going to work. They have to either play this, the, the service game, or they have to drop prices dramatically. And Walmart is big and strong enough to, to do both. They are dropping prices and they are improving at least some of the online services. The other ones, the weaker mm-hmm. ones, they have to make a, a choice because they can never outcompete the others when it comes to price. They have to improve their service. Well, and and we're actually seeing that locally here in, in our area, the local uh, community markets chain uh, rolling out mobile ordering and, and adding other services within their stores, uh, you know, and, and uh, so on and so forth. I mean, you see many of these uh, retailers from Walmart down to the independents making some of these changes. So here's the big question. This isn't over, is it? I mean, we haven't seen kind of the waters even out here. There's uh, much more on the horizon. Uh, yes, as President Reagan said a long time ago, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> this is just the beginning because currently, when it comes to the online operations, there is no grocery retailer in, in the U.S., also not Amazon, that has really figured out how to make, um, say, the online grocery operations uh, really profitable. So they're struggling to find the right 
the right model, um, and together with increased price competition, we are going to see a shakeout. A number of the weaker chains that don't provide either superior service or low price, they will disappear, and all the Amazon, they will grow, and ultimately the consumer will be the winner because they either get better service or they get lower prices, and they can choose whichever they really prefer. Again, from back in February of 2019, our conversation with Jan Benedict Steenkamp, co-author of the book Retail Disruptors, The Spectacular Rise and Impact of Discount Retailers, as it relates to the grocery industry. And again, one of the other reasons why this becomes relevant again, the reason why we pulled this one out of the archive, because again, this was from February of 2019, before, well before the pandemic through another whole monkey wrench in this whole thing. And you can kind of see how some of what he was talking about has since come to fruition, spurred on by the pandemic. You want to learn more about the book, you can check out our webpage at goodmornings.net, and we have the link up there. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. A couple in Tulsa, Oklahoma, was stunned, stunned, after receiving a $4,000 bill for two cups of coffee at Starbucks. <laughs> now, I know Starbucks is rather pricey, but $4,000 for two Starbucks coffees seems a bit excessive. Uh, turns out the uh, coffee shop mistakenly took thousands of dollars as a tip. <laughs> and again, I know that they expect you to tip their baristas, but that's a bit much. Uh, the, uh, Jesse Odell says they had to call customer service over 30 times to try and straighten this out. And, uh, they even had to cancel a vacation trip that they had planned because they didn't have enough money after the, uh, after the company charged their, their card for $4,000 that left them without any cash to go on their trips they had to cancel their vacation because of the whole thing uh jesse and his wife uh say that starbucks did send them two two reimbursement checks <laughs> and both they say bounced <laughs> i didn't know starbucks is having so much trouble um they have filed actually a police report uh for this whole thing a representative for the company attributes the situation to human error and said that the couple should receive a valid refund shortly. We'll see. Moral of the story, always check your receipts. My goodness. <clears throat> uh, let's see. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, the odd and unusual side of the headlines, an alleged serial thief has been caught and charged with 131 counts of burglary and five counts of grand theft in Miami-Dade County, Florida. Armando Martinez has been accused of breaking into rental cars in the Fort Lauderdale area. And not only 131 counts in Miami-Dade County, 143 counts of burglary in Broward County as well. I mean, this this guy was, he never met a car that he didn't want to break into, apparently. But here's the thing. 
these were rental cars, and he didn't actually steal the cars. This is what's crazy. He didn't actually steal the cars. Um, he uh, was stealing the key fobs, the uh, like the the remote, the key fob uh, remotes, and then he would sell them on the black market uh, for like twenty dollars a piece. So you think about all of the money that the value of the key fobs stolen from the vehicles amounted to more than $32,000. He was selling them online. That's interesting. Didn't steal the cars himself, just the key fobs. That's where the real money is. Uh, Apparently, detectives, the way they caught him, detectives found footage of the suspect talking with a car rental center employee who then picked Mr. Martinez out of a lineup. And uh, he ended up confessing to the whole thing. But quite the scheme he had going there for a while. That is crazy. 131 counts of burglary and five counts of grand theft in Miami-Dade County and another 143 counts of burglary in Broward County. That is wild. So, thank goodness. Um, a man facing charges after a dangerous stunt at the Chase Tower in Phoenix uh, on Tuesday. And if you heard about this, the Phoenix Fire Department says a 23-year-old man scaled the outside of the 40-story building on Tuesday. Crews noted that he was nearly halfway up the tower by the time they responded and reached the building. (laughs) Once he finished his climb, he was taken into custody on the roof. The uh, charges he faced... Uh, that he faces include uh, trespassing and criminal nuisance. Man, you got to get a new hobby. That's climbing up the side of a building in uh, downtown Phoenix, 40-story building in downtown Phoenix. That's crazy. Criminal charges of embezzlement are pending against a 71-year-old woman who worked at the Bloomfield Township Senior Center uh, after she allegedly convinced a 96-year-old resident to sign over his home to her. Uh, He had met the woman at the senior center and thought that they had become friends. With her taking him to an attorney after learning he had no kids, lived alone, had no will or estate plan. So she was just helping him out. But among the papers he signed was a quitclaim deed, and he didn't know what that was until a family friend saw the pile of papers and said, you realize that you just gave this person your house. Uh, the woman will be charged with several felonies. Can you imagine? Got, her, got him to uh, sign over his house. Wow. Um, not to be outdone, in Connecticut, a woman placed behind bars after stealing close to $100,000 from her job at a local meat center. Marissa Ganavage age 49, was arrested by Watertown, Connecticut police for allegedly pilfering nearly between ninety dollars and $100,000, between ninety dollars and $100,000 from the Watertown Meat Center. Detective, detectives note that she stole the money over a period of time, which is how it went undetected for so long. Although you would think that people would start to notice, hey, we're, we're seem to be losing large amounts of money. Uh, how does this happen? But uh, before she was caught, she was able to uh, pull off uh, nearly $100,000 in theft. The uh, suspect started her scheme in January of last year 
and would manipulate transactions that she oversaw. She uh, apparently uh, skimmed the cash register between January and October. She'd been charged with uh, first-degree larceny, and uh, she'll have her dating court next uh, later this month. So, But uh, again, that's, that's crazy. How do you steal nearly $100,000 and have nobody notice it? I just, that's crazy to me. But we just had another story like this in the news. Uh, what, a couple of weeks ago, somebody stole like a similar amount of money out from Walmart over time. It just is crazy to me. But. And finally, in the uh, broken news, this will certainly start some discussion. The Church of England is looking into using gender-neutral terms for the Almighty. Let me say that again. The Church of England is looking into using gender-neutral terms for God. A commission will be launched after some priests asked about using more inclusive pronouns. Now, other priests in the church have questioned the need for changing standards that have been in place for thousands of years. But a spokesperson for the church said that while God is neither male nor female, there are no plans to abolish or substantially revise current liturgies. Uh, Any changes would have to be approved by the church's top decision-making governing body. Now, again, this is the Church of England. It's not happening here, but (laughs) using... Uh, more inclusive pronouns, gender-neutral pronouns for God. And again, I guess they do have a point that he's neither male nor female. Well, see here, I just did it. He is not male or female, but we typically uh, consider... I'm not even going down the road. Never mind. Forget it. That's... uh, I'll just put that out there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no good from could come from going down that road. There you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile app for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Online at WFIN. FIN.com and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Would you consider yourself to be an overprotective parent? Um, If so, you should know that you might be driving your kids to an early grave. I'm not kidding here. A new study out of Brazil, indicates that children who have more leeway live longer. Now, I know as a parent, it can be scary to let kids do some things on their own, but it might be good, good for them and good for their lifespan. In this study, and they looked at nearly a thousand individuals who had passed away between 2007 and 2018, and they looked back into their childhood. And of those, men who had an overprotective father 
had a 12% higher risk of dying before the age of 80. And women with an overprotective father had a 22% increased risk of dying before the age of 80. So they say finding that middle ground is best. You don't want to be too intrusive. That can keep your kids from being autonomous. But you also don't want to be negligent or distant from your kids. So finding a happy medium is the key to happiness and longevity, as it turns out. I think this is maybe something that we intuitively kind of knew as parents, right? But, boy, you put numbers on it, and that's pretty doggone dramatic. So, happening around town, the Fort Findlay Playhouse will be presenting the classic murder on the Orient Express. Joining us are uh, producer Heidi, Heidi Raymond and a cast member David Wright. It's the legendary role of Poirot. What is it like to... I mean, this, this is a legendary role. I mean, this is a classic role. Uh, what is it like taking on a, a role like that? Uh, as a uh, quote-unquote semi-professional actor it, it's a, it's a, it's an enormous privilege mm-hmm. to be able to t- take on that character right um but it, it's it's a big it's a big role yeah um and it's you know and you think back about the the people in the past who have taken on uh, that role yeah you know famous people you know uh, albert finney and i mean just so many others mm-hmm. um it's it's a pleasure to be even Putting my pinky toe in that. Yeah, and 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 Poirot is. I mean, he has sponsored a uh, or spawned a series of his own on uh, on BBC, right? And, and right. So, on. right. So, I mean, he's very in PBS uh, airs it here in in the states. He's very well known, and so how much how much leeway then do you get to interpret that character and make that character your own? But Since it's so well known in so many, I, I get to put my touch on it. Yeah. Um, but really, I, I mean, it's true to task with that character. Yeah. Uh, because he's he's very uh, very precise. Uh, my wife says I'm very OCD, so she thought it was typecasting. <laughs> um, but it, it's a very uh, it's very um, very much a uh, an opportunity to be able to put some of my touches in it because mm-hmm. I am who I am. Yeah. Um, but to keep it as true to the, the, the character that Agatha Christie, you know, envisioned. Right. And then the little, the little pieces that uh, Ken Ludwig, who adapted it for the stage, is it was a comedic actor. So there is some, uh, there is some subtle jokes in there and you have to have a not necessarily a fine-tuned ear Mm -hmm. but there's some giggles in it as well yeah uh so heidi talk about uh i guess in in a larger uh, sense you know bringing such a well-known uh story and and staging that does that present uh anything different do you approach that differently than doing something that is either say an original or something maybe that is uh, less well known. So there is because of the size of our theater, our stage is only seventeen feet deep mm-hmm. total, from front to back wall. Wow. So uh, 
that's always that can makes, be a blessing it, and a curse. It is. It always makes we've talked that, about we've talked about this in the past it, with other productions. Yeah. It makes it a very it's intimate a big challenge, setting. and it's a very intimate, but it's an intimate show, right? Um, so there is always a challenge, but to mm-hmm. bring a classic that everybody knows what what it is, mm-hmm. and and there was a recent movie, so we're I'm challenged in that I I have to produce a a set that is really immersive mm-hmm. um and and i think we've i think we have achieved that yeah so. um and this is one of the things that the the playhouse uh, will do i mean you'll do uh, some stuff that is uh maybe not as uh, as well known introduce uh things that that you find interesting but then always coming back and and doing some of those yeah. classics so we we um always are looking for uh, a great mix in our seasons to mm-hmm. bring something new right. and and something that everybody knows um but uh we do quite a few ken ludwig shows um because he always infuses that little bit of humor mm-hmm. and you know murder is a pretty heavy subject <laughs> sure so infusing Obviously. that with a little bit but it's always fun to do. Yeah. I mean, it's it's these are the types of. There's a reason why murder mysteries are so popular yeah. because you know they're fun. They're fun to the books are fun to read. The shows are fun to watch, and they're fun to perform too. I would imagine. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I've I've enjoyed being part of the theater. Uh, I got back into it back in uh, 2019. And uh, to be part of a, a community theater again has been a joy, um, but it, it, it's it's a lot of fun because you know theater people are a lot of characters. You know, well that's that's very that's very true to, as well. You know, I wonder because, and maybe this is a little bit different because so many people are familiar with the story, mm-hmm. and so a lot of people going in know how it's going to end. Uh, you know how how it's going to wrap up, but in general. When you okay? Uh, well, I've had several people who are, uh, you know, um, several decades old that have asked, you know, <laughs> so who, who's the murderer? Who done it? Because <laughs> they don't remember yeah. necessarily. Well, that's true. If it's been a while, um, and, and I'm, I clam up. I no, I'm, well, see, and that's that's what I'm wondering because obviously you know, uh, <laughs> you know, everybody in the in the play knows you've read the play, you've right, gone through right. it, you know. Um, so, is there a bit of a challenge? In not, um, I guess, uh, spotlighting those little clues that uh, that come up through the course of the story. You know what I mean? I mean when there's a when there's something that you know is crucial to revealing at the end right. the solution right. that comes up. You don't want to spotlight it. You don't want to. Well, see, you know what that's, I mean? that's the thing, uh, Chris. It's it's interesting that um, uh, these these little highlights mm-hmm. are all pieces of a puzzle, I mean, but right. they don't necessarily yeah. follow an order of things. Right. But at the same time, you don't want to uh, stand there on stage and say, "Hey, pay attention to this. This is right. important. So, this is you know what's going to you know give you a clue as to right. how this is going to end Part up." Part of the art of doing it mm-hmm. is to make sure that those things can be seen mm-hmm. but not but highlighted, not highlighted to yeah. the point where they're screaming out exactly that's part of what the production part mm-hmm. of that is so exciting for us is to be able to have those clues and make them so that they're there yeah but you have to look for them and you have to know where they are you exactly. have to know what they are um but that that's the 
fun part Trying for to me make, is to make sure it's kind that of nonchalant. It's yeah, like, oh, making sure that those there, remain there's that thing there, and then that they remain subtle there. enough yeah. uh, that you might miss them, but yeah. yet uh, yeah. that if you're really watching for them, you catch yeah, so them. Later now, on, they come up and you go, exactly. "Oh, I oh, should yeah, see I them." Remember that. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Now I, it strikes me we're talking about all of this, assuming that folks have seen the show or familiar with the uh, with the story. But for those who may not be, and maybe folks have heard of murder on the orient express but aren't familiar uh with the uh plot uh kind of give us a brief synopsis well, of this. really the synopsis is uh to set the stage if you will is uh it's just after midnight and a snowdrift stops the orient express in its tracks the luxury train is surprisingly full for this time of year uh, but by the morning one passenger fewer <laughs> and that's all I'm going to disclose. There we go. Uh, you actually open a week from today, right? We do. We do. And uh, give us all of the uh, details here. So show dates are February 16 through 19 and 24 to 26. Okay. Show times are 8 p.m. or 5 o'clock on Sundays. Um, we can get tickets at fortfinley.org backslash tickets or fortfinley.org and click on the tickets get tickets okay um there are no hidden fees all seats are 15 dollars, and tickets are selling very very fast as you would probably so. imagine <laughs> so uh again we've got a link up as always at our webpage at uh, goodmornings.net so you can uh, find out more and get tickets to murder on the orient express opening one week from today at the fort finley playhouse and again producer uh, heidi raymond and uh, cast member David Wright with us uh, this morning. Thanks you both for uh, dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you. Good luck with the show. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage. That, of course, is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the show, this week's massive train derailment in eastern Ohio raises the question... How does a community prepare for something like that? Through programs like the University of Findlay's Emergency and Disaster Management Certification and All Hazards Training Center. That's how we'll learn more. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.